It's 12.08. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. A lot of stuff going on on the program. Again, as we do for the first couple segments of every show, we are live streaming on Facebook. So you can go to Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ, and you can watch... I was going to say us. I guess you can watch me as I go about my business, but it's it's sort of the royal me because I'm working with my producer, Gru, and all the other people that help me do the show. Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. Coming up in the next 20 minutes or so, Marquette University Law School is going to be releasing its new poll figures. They polled uh, mid-August, mid to late August. And at the time, um, their, their poll numbers showed Governor Scott Walker in a, essentially a dead heat among likely voters, 46 to 46 percent with his challenger, Tony Evers. Um, Tammy Baldwin ahead by two points among likely voters over Leah Vukmir. Um, and, and another interesting numbers. I am always skeptical of polls and I, I understand that some people just take the market university law school poll as gospel. I am, again, given the fact that it's gotten it wrong over the last couple elections as well, I, I take it with a grain of salt. But, but again, it's an interesting thing to see where the race is. Those numbers come out in about 20, 25 minutes or so, and we'll give you an analysis as they occur. But I want to start with the story that everybody is talking about, of course, and these are the allegations against Brett Kavanaugh, the very, very qualified conservative jurist who was slated, I mean, had a pretty much of a clear ride to be appointed to the U.S. Supreme Court until he got caught with his own sort of Saturday night massacre. And what, what ended up happening is, everybody knows the story. You now have a, a woman, she's a professor in California. She has now come forward at the very, very last minute. And she has said, well, back when I was in high school, 30-plus years ago, I was at a house. It was kind of a party. I, I, I don't know exactly where the house was. I don't know who the house is, who the house belonged to. But I was at this house, and uh, Brett Kavanaugh, who at the time was like 17 or 18, and one of his friends, we were swimming or whatever, and he grabbed me, and he threw me on a bed, and he put his hand over my mouth and uh, tried to pull off my bathing suit, and I struggled, and I got away, and I haven't told this to anybody since it allegedly occurred in the 1980s. I, I shared it with my therapist in 2012, and now I've decided to go public. Okay, that that's the background of the story. After this announcement came out, I think the Republicans essentially were in a situation where, all right, you have to explore this. She never reported this to anyone, didn't report it to authorities. There don't appear to be any witnesses to this. As a matter of fact, the woman's attorney, who's a Democrat activist, she's already said, well, she doesn't have to prove anything. She doesn't have to prove anything. It's not their job to prove anything. She says this happened, so it must have happened. So on Monday, the, the vote on Kavanaugh in the Senate committee was supposed to be on Thursday. They've now put that off. On Monday, Judge Kavanaugh will go in, and he says, "I it did not flat out happen. I'm willing to testify to this under oath. Uh, the woman, the accuser, has been invited. Whether or not she attends, I do not know. Don't, don't know whether that's going to happen at all. Now, there's a number of factors that go into this. First of all, again, the, typically when you have an abuser, there appears to be a pattern. 
um, Bill Cosby. It's not just one woman. It's a number of women over a period of several decades that come forward. By all, for all intents and purposes, this appears to be the only such allegation against Judge Kavanaugh in his entire life. There, there, FBI has done all this checking. Nobody can find anything. You've got all these women, 60, 70, 80 people, 80 women who knew him in high school. They're coming forward saying, no, this, 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 this is not the guy that, that we knew. So there doesn't appear to be any sort of pattern behind this. Again, the woman doesn't tell anything to anybody until it comes out um, in front of her therapist in 2012. She says she took a lie detector test. Now, let me just tell you this. This is from my past experience. There's a reason why lie detectors results aren't admitted into evidence in criminal trials or civil trials, and that is because they are inherently unreliable. I could spend 20 minutes on that, but we'll, 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 maybe we'll do it, maybe we won't. But they're just inherently unreliable, which is why they are not admitted into evidence in courts across, at least in federal courts in the United States and in most state courts. But so here's the bottom line. Even if Judge Kavanaugh is now appointed to the Supreme Court, he will be forever tainted because of this allegation. There are some people who are suggesting that the mere fact that this allegation has been made is disqualifying in and of itself and that he should resign. He should step down, withdraw his nomination, because the fact that somebody said he did something 35 years ago, that in and of itself should be disqualifying, period. He doesn't belong on the court. And there was an interesting story in the Washington Post today suggesting that if Republicans go ahead and put him on the court, they will pay the price in November. And this is where I want to start the program off. I could not disagree more. You know, I, I've actually been listening to a number of people over the last couple of days, people in my circle, things like that, including people who aren't necessarily fans of Donald Trump. And I will tell you this, the, the, the almost universal reaction has been people are angry that these allegations are coming out at this period of time. I think most people view this, at least, you know, most conservative-leaning people view this as this last-minute smear effort to try to destroy the reputation of a good man and to try to derail the nomination of a solid conservative jurist. Rather than backfiring on the Republicans, I think by going down this route, the Democrats are, I think, angering a lot of people by weaponizing this hashtag MeToo movement. And that's what's going on here, weaponizing this and trying to use allegations that have come out of the clear blue from decades and decades ago as a way to try to, again, impact the political system and try to accomplish a result that you couldn't accomplish at the polls. Our number, 414-799-1620, that is the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I do not think Judge Kavanaugh should step down, number one. And number two, I do not think, when all is said and done, that the way this plays out is going to hurt Republicans in November. As a matter of fact, this may be the moment, and you can argue whether it's good or bad, but it may be the moment when certain aspects of the Me Too movement jump the shark, I think a lot of people, men and women, are sitting there saying, all right, 35 years ago or whatever, 
back in high school. Don't say this to anybody. Now you come forward at this point in time. No, that's just not right. 414-799-1620. Should Kavanaugh step down? Is this weaponizing the Me Too movement? Is it going to hurt Republicans if he is, in fact, appointed? My answer is no, and no, he shouldn't. He should not step down. And I think there's a lot of Republicans out there who are finally like looking at this stuff and saying, okay, enough is enough. If this was out there, it should have been brought forward a long time ago. This is just fundamentally not fair. 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Once again, we're up Facebook.com slash 620WTMJ. You can watch us as we live stream. 1219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Once again, live streaming, Facebook.com slash 620WTMJ. No, here's a text. No, Judge Kavanaugh should not step down. Seems suspicious that it comes out now. It's her word against his. Well, actually, it's not her word against his because she says that there was another person that was present and he says, no, this, this didn't, this did not happen either. Now, look, I don't know if this woman is lying. I, I, I just don't. Um, I don't know if there was some interaction and now 30 some years later she's blown this up into her mind. But I will tell you this. I, I think at some point in time, this endless mucking around, trying to find somebody who's going to make some claims in an effort to derail someone, it's wrong and it's got to stop. If Brett Kavanaugh is a serial abuser of women, then he's not qualified to be on the Supreme Court, period. There doesn't appear to be any allegations of this. If he sexually assaulted a woman, it doesn't doesn't belong in the Supreme Court. But at the same time, how do you prove that? How do you go back and get your reputation back? How Somebody waits 35 years to bring a claim. Nobody else is out there to say this. This is This is unfair in the extreme. In my opinion, it is a sleazy tactic and the people responsible for this should be ashamed of themselves jerry in germantown jerry you're on wtmj hello hey jeff nice talking with you thanks for calling uh i just wanted to remind you of a couple of things clarence thomas when Mm -hmm. he was uh nominated and 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 that is forever stain the anita hill clarence thomas thing has forever stained Clarence Thomas's reputation and who knows what was going on with that particular thing but but that's he's always going to have an asterisk after his name because of that whole Anita Hill controversy and also remember judge Moore down in Alabama the same thing happened and he lost the election yeah i'm i mean thanks guys i'm i'm a little uh, the, the Roy Moore thing was weird uh and and i'm a little plus there were other women that made these sort of claims and you know the, the, the Roy Moore thing was strange i i'm not lumping Roy Moore in the same boat as as Clarence Thomas and with Brett Kavanaugh I, i'm just saying that if if this was this incredibly traumatic experience where was this woman in the 80s and the 90s and the aughts and in 2010? Uh, it, it, she suddenly has this revelation in 2012. Oh, come on. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Jason in Mequon. Jason, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yes, me and Jeff. Hi, Jason. Um, this is just a shameful delay tactic by the Democrats, and every one of them should be ashamed of themselves for getting involved with this stuff. This woman is just an activist, and they're going to smear this good man's reputation. And they're, like you said, he can't get it back anywhere. Um, Diane Feinstein should just be 
be absolutely ashamed of herself, and she knows that if she would have brought this up two months ago, well, that's she the other thing. This thing. Right? I mean, thanks. For that. I mean, that's that's the other thing. If there is really this outrage that is out there uh, about, oh my gosh, we're afraid that we're ready to put this this would be rapist um, on on the bench. What, why wouldn't you have vigorously pursued this back in July? No, this this was. This was timed to create this disruption, to feed into the resistance movement and things like that. And, and, and I will tell you, like I say, there's a story in the Washington Post today that says, well, if, if he's confirmed and Republican senators go ahead and vote for him, there, this is going to cause a problem, you know, with, with independent voters. I actually think it's the opposite because I think there are a lot of fair-minded independent voters. Look, if you hate Donald Trump and, and you, you hate the conservatives, you're not going to be on that side anyways. But I think there's a lot of fair-minded independent voters who are looking at this, men and women, men and women are saying this just doesn't meet the smell test. You mean to say that you can go back and you can say somebody did this horrible thing back in 1980, whatever, when they were in high school, they never told anybody about it, never told their friends, never told anybody about it. And now on the eve of the person being getting ready to be presented to the United States Supreme Court, that's where you voice it. I think there's a lot of fair-minded voters who are saying this is just this is just not right. This is not what the Me Too movement is about. If Brett Kavanaugh were Harvey Weinstein, you would have women out the door complaining about his behavior, but you don't. Matter of fact, the women that knew him in high school are all coming forward saying this is just BS. This is not how this guy was. But again, the lawyer for the woman says, well, no, we don't, we don't have to prove anything. All she has to do is just, just say it, and then that's got to be the case. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to John on the east side. John, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Hi, John. Uh, you know, I was telling your producer, too, I, I mean, there's no way that this good man should step down. It's unfortunate this has occurred. But the main thing I wanted to say is, if anybody has any doubt that the left is above trying anything, this this ought to uh, clear right. up any doubts. Right. They are capable of anything, and I mean lawful or unlawful. Well, I don't know about I, I don't know about lawful or unlawful, but there there is no there there is no depth to which it is apparent that some people will stoop. To try to, you know, undermine and in some respects overturn the result of what happened in 2016. And, and that is what is playing out now. And I feel bad for Judge Kavanaugh. I feel bad for his wife. I feel bad for his family that they are now dragged in in this smear effort. I mean, and of course, there, there is no shame. There is no shame on the Diane Feinstein's part, but there should be. There should be. Absolutely. Thanks for the call. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Jeff in Wauwatosa. Hi, Jeff. How you doing? Good topic. You know, when are you? Why are you guilty? And you have to prove you're innocent. There's so many of these issues and slandering these people. Um, you know, you're ruined once it comes out. Let's say oh, yeah. if you're oh, a teacher or a psychologist or anything like that, and somebody has came out and said this, your job would be history. Um, huh? I think we need to change some rules or some laws or something because it just isn't fair where, where do you go i mean i you know where does this guy go to get his reputation back and the answer is exactly. the answer is nowhere i mean you're you're right you all you have to do is make this claim and again this is the dark side of the hashtag me too movement i mean everybody any person of conscience has to be serious and 
and concerned about, you know, allegations. If you've got serial sexual abusers or people who are mistreating women, but at some point in time, you know, don't you have to, can you really say, all right, 30 some years ago, I don't remember exactly where it was and I don't remember who was around and I didn't tell anybody. Come on. At some point in time, don't we have to say enough of this is enough? Yeah. Right. You know, as far as the seven year, uh, you know, where it's not any good anymore, whatever it's called. Right. The statute of limitations, yeah. The statute of limitations, you know. It, it, it's just that, you know, both sides should be ashamed of themselves. This whole political thing here, they've lost their respect for each other, and they need to get it back. I say we get people like me and you in there. I, I, I don't think I could pass the background check anymore, my friend. And thanks for calling me. I, 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 I mean, I, I look. I, I, I mean, no. I mean, thanks for calling. I mean, I, I think I lived a pretty good life, but I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I don't know that it matters what you did or what you didn't do. You know, somebody comes. I back. I was in high school, and I remember we were at a party somewhere, and he. And look, and I'm, I'm not in any way, shape, or form countenancing, you know, boorish behavior or this type of stuff. But at some point in time, don't you have to say, how how do you defend yourself against these allegations? And at some point in time, I mean, doesn't there have to be some sort of statute of limitations on, on bad behavior or because it's Donald Trump who's the president and we don't want to put a conservative on the Supreme Court? Does anything go? And I, I guess that that's where we are. And that's why, again, I stand by what I said earlier. I think if Brett Kavanaugh is confirmed, I do not believe that there's going to be a backlash against Republicans. I think actually this may be the thing that we, that wakens a, a kind of that sleeping giant that's out there. A lot of people out there who, all right, aren't necessarily fans of Donald Trump. You like what's going on with the economy. You like where the direction of the country is headed, but you're kind of, you know, put off by the, the tweets and things like that. This might be the thing that just honks off. I would use another word, but we'll say honks off, honks off a large segment of conservative voters and maybe independent voters and says, say, this is going too far. 1229, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Thanks for participating in the Facebook Live. We do it for the first se- couple segments of every show. Um, so you can tune in at 12.08 when we start the program. Before we move away from the, the whole Brett Kavanaugh discussion, there is a piece in today's Wall Street Journal that I, I think is provocative and kind of hits the right note. I want to share a portion of it with you. It, again, the editorial is called the hashtag MeTooKavanaugh Ambush. The woman accusing Brett Kavanaugh of a drunken assault when both were teenagers has now come forward publicly. And on Monday, it caused Republicans to delay a confirmation vote and schedule another public hearing. Yet there is no way to confirm her story after 36 years. And to let it stop Mr. Kavanaugh's confirmation would ratify what has all the earmarks of a calculated political ambush. This is not to say that Christine Blasey Ford isn't sincere in what she remembers. In an interview published in the Washington Post on Sunday, Ms. Ford offered a few more details of the story she told anonymously starting in July. She says she was 15 when Mr. Kavanaugh, who would have been 17, and a male friend pushed her into a bedroom at a drinking party, held her down and pawed her until the male friend jumped on them both. 
She escaped to a bathroom until the two boys left the room. Mr. Kavanaugh denies all this categorically and unequivocally, and there's simply no way to prove it. The only witness to the event is Mr. Kavanaugh's high school friend, male friend, Mark Judge, who also says he recalls no such event. Ms. Ford concedes she told no one about it, not even a high school girlfriend or a family member, until 2012 when she told the story as part of a couple's therapy with her husband. The vagaries of memory are well known all the more so when they emerge in the cauldron of a therapy session to rescue a marriage. Experts know that human beings can come to believe firmly over the years that things happened when it never did, or it's based on a partial truth. Mistaken identity is also possible. Let me just stop there. That is why, as a general rule, you have statutes of limitations for criminal behavior, because memories fade. Um, Events, uh, and maybe you, 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 and you, you can maybe... Legitimately think something 35 years ago happened in the way you believe it, but it it really didn't. But there's no way to prove it or disprove it because, did I mention, it was 35 years ago. The Washington Post reports that the therapist's notes from 2012 said that there were four male assailants. But Ms. Ford says that was a mistake. Ms. Ford also can't recall in whose home the alleged assault took place, how she got there, or how she got home that evening. This is simply too distant and uncorroborated a story to warrant a new hearing or to delay a vote. We've heard from all three principals, and there are no other witnesses to call. Democrats will use Monday's hearing as a political spectacle to coax Mr. Kavanaugh into looking defensive or angry and to portray Republicans as anti-women. Odds are it will become a circus, to which the guy I say amen. The timing and details of how Ms. Ford came forward and how her name was coaxed into public view should also raise red flags about the partisan motives at play. The Post says Ms. Ford contacted the paper via a tip line in July but wanted to remain anonymous. She then brought her story to a Democrat official while still hoping to stay anonymous. Yet she also then retained a lawyer, Deborah Katz, who has a history of democratic activism and spoke in public defense of Bill Clinton against the accusations by Paula Jones. Ms. Katz urged Ms. Ford to take a polygraph test. The Post says she passed the polygraph, though a polygraph merely shows that she believes the story she is telling. The more relevant question is why go to such lengths if Ms. Ford really wanted her name to stay secret? Even this weekend, she could have chosen to remain anonymous. There are These are the actions of someone who was prepared to go public from the beginning if she had to. The role of Senator Dianne Feinstein is also highly irregular and transparently political. The ranking Democrat on the Judiciary Committee knew about Ms. Ford's accusations in late July or early August, yet kept quiet. If she took it seriously, she had multiple opportunities to ask Judge Kavanaugh or have her committee staff interview the principals, but in the event that details would have been vetted and senators would have had time to assess their credibility. Instead, Feinstein waited until the day before a committee markup on the nomination to release a statement that she had information about the accusation and had sent it to the FBI. Her statement was a political stunt. She was seeking to insulate herself from liberal charges that she sat on the letter, or, and this seems increasingly likely given the course of events, Senator Feinstein was holding the story to spring at the last minute in the hope that events would play out as they have. Surely she knew that once word of the accusation was public, the press would pursue the story and Ms. Ford would be identified by one name or another. Democrats waited until Ms. Ford went public to make public statements, but clearly some were feeding the names of Ms. Ford and her lawyer to the press, and now they are piling on what they hope will be an election 
Eve, hashtag Me Too conflag- conflagration. Um, it, it goes on and on and on. But you get the idea. This is a political stunt. It is, in my opinion, an effort to smear the reputation of a good man. And the bottom line is now, I mean, is this where we really are in American politics, where if you are ready to be appointed to a position, the opposition is willing to stoop to any tactic, turn to any level, bring forth claims. Again, and if there was a pattern of practice here, and, and that's what happens when you have the, these abusers. If this guy was used to getting drunk and grabbing women, all right, there would be, this would be a Bill Cosby situation. This would be a Harvey Weinstein situation. This is a political situation. And unfortunately, the reputation of a good man has been ruined. And that is nothing short of disgraceful. Will it work? Well, all right, his reputation has been ruined, but if Republicans back down and fail to vote for him, I think there is going to be anger among the Republican base. Like I said earlier, I think this is one where even a lot of fair-minded people are shaking their head going, this just does not seem right, because I will tell you, it could happen to you. It could happen to you, just like it was happening to Brett Kavanaugh, if you have people that are out to get you. It's 1242. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1246, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, breaking news is the Marquette University Law School poll is out. And I have been saying this for for quite a while now. Years ago, the Marquette University Law School poll used to be kind of the gold standard of polls. And they've had a track record of, at least recently, like many polls, getting it wrong. So I always... I take their numbers with a grain of salt. I, I say that all the time, regardless of what the numbers show, and I, I take this one with a grain of salt as well. All right, here are the numbers. Uh, the governor's race, Tony Evers and Scott Walker. Last month, it was 46-46. The new poll shows um, Evers 49, Walker 44 among likely voters. Registered voters, dead heat, 40, oh no, 47 to 43. Um, my take on this, I, my guess is this is just like the last poll might have been a little bit heavily weighted to Republicans. I think this sample is heavily weighted to Democrats. I, I take it with a, a grain of salt. Here's the way I kind of see the governor's race. There's nobody voting for Tony Evers. There, there's, I mean, Tony Evers is a goof. There's no voting for Tony Evers. The question is, will enough people vote, show up? And it's the same way as the last couple elections. Will enough people show up not to vote for Tony Evers, but to vote against Scott Walker? And will the Walker supporters turn out? Scott Walker's, I mean, I think he, he's capped at around 52, 53% of the vote. That's kind of his high watermark because you have people out there that hate him. My guess is this sample probably disproportionately represents Democrats. I think this is going to be an extremely close race. I, I do. But it's, it's not about Tony Evers. It's all going to be about Scott Walker. And can Scott Walker get his voters out like he was able to get his voters out in 2012 in the recall election and in 2014 when he was reelected as governor? That's what the question is going to be. But the poll numbers, um, they have Evers up by five points among likely voters, 49 to 44. Color me extremely skeptical about that. All right, the Senate poll. Now, last month when they did the poll, they found it was a statistical dead heat. Tammy Baldwin, 49, Leah Vukmir, 47. 
as I said at the time, I was a little bit surprised at that number. Um, it's it's difficult to beat incumbents in the state of Wisconsin. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. It, it certainly has. But it's difficult to to beat them. Uh, this time around, the numbers have, have shifted. Like I say, it was 49. Before it was 49 to 47. This time, uh, the numbers, Tammy Baldwin, 53 Leah Vukmir, 42% among likely voters. So showing a, a pretty significant spread, my guess is Baldwin is ahead. Is she ahead by 11 points? Absolutely not. That's just that's not the case. But again, it, it reflects what I, I think my general sense is a, a disproportionate number of Democrats in this poll, like there might have been a disproportionate number of Republicans in the other poll. This is not an 11-point race, but I, I'm... Is is Tammy Baldwin probably ahead at this point in time? Yes. Does that mean Leo Vukmir can't win the race? No, but it's the challenge. Interesting number, uh, Brad Schimmel, who is running for re-election, he has 48% of the vote. His Democratic challenger, uh, Josh Call, has 41% among likely voters. And that's what I typically do. So um, I think that probably, even with a Democrat-heavy poll, that probably reflects the fact that nobody... Nobody really knows who Josh Call is, and this race is sort of not not one that's generating a ton of attention. So, you know, th- those are the big takeaway numbers. That if, if you believe the numbers, Evers ahead of Walker by four or five points. Like I say, color me skeptical on that, simply because this this election is going to be: Can Scott Walker turn out the people who have supported him? Over the years, um, and because the reality is, in the state of Wisconsin, things are pretty darn good. There, there's really, objectively speaking, there is no reason to turn out the incumbent governor. There, there just, there just isn't. Um, you, you've got the economy that is going great guns. You've got employment, which is. We are almost at full employment, almost at full employment. You've got new industries that are moving into this state. I mean, actually, to talk about reversing course would be almost insane, but I understand that you've got those people that just absolutely hate Scott Walker. The question is going to be, is their passion going to overwhelm the passion or the feelings of the people who, majority of people in the state who I think are doing pretty well? That's what the indication is going to be. Eric Bilstadt, do we have something? We have some traffic situations we need to get to. 43 southbound in Milwaukee County. This is near Locust. We have a rollover accident. So you are now seeing delays heading into the city. As of now, crews do have it where you're getting around this, but that may change. So be prepared for some delays heading southbound on 43 into Milwaukee. The other one is on coffee in New Berlin. There are downed wires there. Crews on the scene, the fire department on the scene there as well. Because of it, uh, coffee road in New Berlin is shut down at the time being as they deal with this so something to be mindful of we'll get you an update at one o'clock there's another weird number in this marquette university law school poll which tells me that they've really flipped the sample size as to who they are polling in august 53 percent of the people polled said the state was moving in the right direction 41 percent say it was moving in the wrong track and that's one of the numbers that you kind of look at um it's a judge how well incumbents are going to do um, now in the new poll, okay, so in the new poll, okay, your you old poll, you had 52% saying in the right direction. Um, now they say 
only 50% say it is headed in the right direction. 47% say it's in the right track. Now, th- this is this is a poll that skews for Democrats. Now, it doesn't mean that it might not be an accurate point. And, yes, this is the same poll that had Hillary Clinton ahead by seven points. So take it all with a grain of salt. But uh, if you believe these numbers, Democrats should, in fact, be encouraged I think this is going to be a very, very close race. And I guess my advice would be, if I was Tony Evers, I wouldn't exactly be measuring the curtain size in the executive residence yet. But it's it's going to be a tough battle over the course of the next couple months. And if anybody thinks that, for example, Scott Walker is going to walk to reelection, even though I think a lot of us believe he should, that's not necessarily the case. Um, this is another warning shot. 1253, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1256, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Coming up in about 15 minutes, 10 minutes actually, what if they had an award show and nobody watched? And your spouse is a boorish cad. What does that say about you? And should you lose your job because of it? That is all coming up along with a lot of other stuff. I, I, I do want to, I want to double back on something we started the program with yesterday. I, I was talking about my experience in Lambeau Field and how there were all these different Viking fans that were out there. And matter of fact, if you want to go back and, and watch that segment, it's actually, in my opinion, it's pretty good. You can go to our Facebook.com slash 620WTMJ and you, you can see it. We, we live streamed it and it's up there. I know a lot of people have watched it, but one of the comments I made in my observations of the game, and I, I leave the heavy duty football analysis to the guys who really know the inside ins and outs of it. But one of the things that I, I think was pretty clear, I, I, I thought it when I saw the play in real time, and certainly when I saw the replays, is it was a bogus roughing the passer call on Clay Matthews. I mean, it seemed to me he did everything by textbook, and you and you look at the you look at the replays, and it, it, at least it was apparent to me that the referee choked on this. Now, I thought that maybe the NFL would show a little bit of class and acknowledge they got it wrong. These referees are, are human. I, I get it. They're going to get things wrong. And, and there's the, the Packers had all sorts of opportunities to win that game. I don't think you can go back and look at one call. But that was a bad call. Unfortunately, and this says everything you need to know about the National Football League and the people that run it. All right, rather than acknowledging they got it wrong, they have now doubled down. And they have said, no, this was exactly right. No, this, this, it should have been a penalty. And as a matter of fact, we're going to send this out on videotape to other teams as an indication of what you should not do. And all that's doing is creating a ton of controversy and questions because now nobody out, nobody knows what you want to do. Look, I understand it is important to protect quarterbacks. And I understand that there's cheap shots. And for example, there was a cheap shot, in my opinion, that took Aaron Rodgers out last year. But at the same time, you have to let these people play. Go back and watch what Clay Matthews did in roughing the passer and allegedly roughing the passer. And I think almost everybody would say, all right, this is how you're supposed to play the game. The NFL got it wrong. And if this is what the rule is, the owners need to get together and they say, we got to got to change this right away because, candidly, it is going to completely and totally undermine the game. If this is the rule, the rule is wrong. And the NFL apparently says this is what the rule is. The game is becoming a mockery. And I think I continue to stand by what I said. Clay Matthews got the short end of the stick. Did it change the outcome of the game? It, it did. But did the Packers have all sorts of other opportunities to win that game? Yes, they, they did as well. 
bad calls come with the territory, and I think this call was a stinker. All right, when we come back, what if you did an award show and nobody watched? Stick around. It's 1259. 109, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Um, Eric, play along with me. Okay. These are the nominees for the Outstanding Drama Series at the Emmys last night. You're smiling. No, I'm just, okay. I, <laughs> no, I, go ahead. Go I, ahead. I, my, my question is, have you, I'm, I want to go through the list. Have you seen any of these? Okay. okay. All right. The Americans? I've seen pieces of it. I've heard it's phenomenal. But, okay. I've, but, but only, you, I, I've not watched it religiously. You have, no. you have not no. watched it. Okay. No. The Crown? I have seen the first episode, or the first season. You saw the first season and on it's Netflix. Decent. It's okay. Okay. Game of Thrones? Yes. On HBO. The Handmaid's Tale? I have not seen that. Okay. Stranger Things? Yes. Okay. This Is Us? No. Uh, Westworld. No. All right. And now, I I think one of the reasons, and, and, and my guess is actually, you have probably seen more series, more of those than, than most people have because seen. Because of the screaming. Well, be, because um, of those, other than This Is Us, I, I don't think any of them are on broadcast TV. No, None right. of them are, are the networks. You have, I, I've, oh, I mean, the Americans is on basic cable. Was the end of that season? Mm-hmm. It was on basic yep. cable. But the Crown, that that's Netflix. Game of Thrones, HBO, HBO yep. Handmaid's Tale. I think that's Showtime. No, 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 no. no. That's or, like uh, Hulu. Hulu. Yeah. So you have to you have to have Hulu to watch that. This is us. Is NBC. Westworld is HBO. Stranger Things. That's on Netflix. Stranger Things. Okay, but but here. You know, for I mean, now I I I don't I don't have Hulu, I don't have Amazon Prime. The 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 one that won all the uh, all the awards for a comedy series is this the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. That's on Prime. I, that, actually, that's very good. Right, but it's on Amazon Prime. Yep, I don't yep. I don't I don't watch anything on I I'm I don't watch anything on Amazon. So Prime. all the cord cutters watch those. I'll have all the streaming devices. Right, exactly. But unless you're and unless you're really not participating, so unless you're on, you know, Netflix or and I understand a lot of people are Hulu or the Prime, Amazon yeah. Prime, you're you're not watching. You're not seeing a ton of this TV stuff. Well, and here's the other thing, too, and I've said this before and gotten in trouble for it. I'm not sure why, but network <laughs> network TV shows generally are a little bit more tame, whereas when you watch some of these, these other ones, they can take more risks. They can be a little blue at times. They can try well, they can be a lot things. blue at yeah, times. Right, right. Yeah, and sure. they can get away with that because it's on these. it's not on the network, so you can get away with that and... Oftentimes, that gives the writer and the director much more to work with when you can do that. But I also think that one of the things, many of these, it used to be TV series had had a run. There'd be 18 or 20 shows. Most of these shows are are limited edition shows. Okay, The, The Crown. They make ten of them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all, it, it, it's rare to see more than ten or twelve. I'm a big fan of Better Call Saul, which they, they show mm-hmm. yep. um, on on AMC. That that airs on Monday nights. I mean, they're all. It seems like they're already. It's only they only make ten episodes, and you know, they make ten episodes every year. So I think that gives them a little more flexibility, sure. yep. you know, yep. from a creative perspective. But um, okay, uh, let me see. Where is the where is the Comedy stuff here. Outstanding comedy series. Okay, Atlanta. You seen Atlanta? I've heard it's good. I haven't. You seen haven't it. seen? No, no. I, I, you have not seen Atlanta. I've not seen it. Barry. Also heard it's good, but I haven't. I haven't seen it. Well, I'm nope. not trying to embarrass oh, you, but no, no, no. That's. I mean, that, that's on but, HBO. But right? these are story. Yeah, these are shows that you hear. I mean, they're trending right. in the upwards direction. Blackish. 
That's on ABC. I do not watch it. Okay. Curb Your Enthusiasm? I've seen it, but not recently. Not recently. Glow? Nope. That's on Netflix. That's the Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling thing. I've okay. watched both series. The uh, Marvelous Mrs. M- um, Maisel? Yep. Right? Seen that series. You've seen that. I haven't. Yep. The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt? That's also on Netflix. That's very funny. Right. Uh, have you seen it? I have seen it. Okay. And then Silicon Valley? That's on HBO. That's very funny, too. Right. Okay. So, but again, these are, I mean, there's uh, essentially, un- unless you're hooked up to one of these streaming services, and in some cases, all of them, you're, you're not, you know, really, you're not going to be able to see it. I mean, if, if okay, you've got to have, if, if you want to watch Glow, for example, that's, that's a Netflix thing. If you want to watch The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, you, that's Amazon Prime. But if you think about it, how is that any different than spending 150 bucks or more for some giant cable channel? Well, but in many cases, people... It, 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 oh, so Gru is on your side. I mean, you, huh? you, okay. I mean, the reason we have Amazon Prime is because my wife, for many years, got it for the free packaging. So all of a sudden, we just have this... The streaming site, which is actually pretty nice, right. so then now we use it. Okay, and I guess my my point is, I don't care how people consume it. I mean, it, that's whether whether you want to be a cord cutter and do that or not. But I, I think one of the things that's interesting to me is when you have an award show like the Emmys, and we're going through these nominees. Mm-hmm. My guess is the average person hasn't going to ha- hasn't hasn't seen a half or more of the different shows that are out there because. For whatever reasons, they don't have Netflix, or they don't have Amazon okay. Prime, or they don't have HBO, or they don't have Showtime, or or whatever. And I, I think, I mean, I was looking for theory. the The ratings for the Emmys yesterday, awful. I mean, I, I'm looking at the the latest numbers of this, and um, all, all time low. Final numbers from Nielsen are in, and the Emmys show pulled in 10 million viewers. Um, and a 2.4 rating among adults 18 to 49, a new all-time low for TV's biggest night. Um, that's down 4% in the demo, 11% in eyeballs from last year, which was the previous mm-hmm. low. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know, I mean, it, it, it's, 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 it's cratering. And, and I guess I, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm trying to come up with reasons why that might be. Now, I think we, we get burned off on, on award shows, and some people don't like to see the politics. Right. But I, I think what it is, is the market is so fragmented that people just, they don't rec- they haven't seen any of the shows. I agree. But at the same time, I think the actual content that's being created, we're at an all-time high for phenomenal television shows and programs. Yeah, well, there, there's almost, and, and I don't disagree with that, there's almost too much good stuff to watch. I, agree. I mean, you're just, you're, you're just kind of overwhelmed. And it's interesting. I, I got Netflix a couple couple months ago. I finally broke down, and we, we, we've got Netflix, and we like it. I mean, mm-hmm. I enjoy I enjoy the crown. My wife has gotten bored. It's so slow. You know, we're, we're through the first year. It's so slow. She said, yeah, it was actually, we were at dinner with some people. And we were saying, yeah, it's good, but it's just so slow. I watched, um, the Netflix had a, a reboot of, um, Lost in Space. Mm-hmm. And I watched the yep. first two and it wasn't very good. And so I, I mean, I bailed after happens. two. Yeah, right. A lot of people do that. Luke Cage. Fail. Some people like that. I watched the first couple episodes. It, it, my mind. I mean, some people like it. I, it just, it wasn't, to me, it wasn't any good, so I mm-hmm. kind of bailed on that. But you're right, there's all these great choices that are out there, but given the fact that so few are on either basic cable or on, on over your broadcast, I, I think it's just kind of killing people's interest in the Emmys because they, they say, okay, well, why do I watch this show? Because I haven't seen, I have no idea what half of these shows are. See, I guess I'd rather the Emmys fail. <laughs> 
and get to choose phenomenal programming. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if the Emmys ends up not being oh, a yeah. thing anymore, who cares? Right, yeah, I, I could care less. <laughs> right, I mean, just kind of like Miss America, I could care less right. about it. Okay, but this, that's a, our lead-in. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, I am a consumer of popular culture. You perhaps are a, as well. Why were the numbers, why are these numbers declining? Is it a lack of interest in award shows? My theory is many of us j- just haven't seen a lot of the shows that are out there because unless you are participating on multiple platforms, and I'm not criticizing, it's just a reality, unless you are participating on multiple platforms, you're, you're not seeing a lot of the stuff that is out there. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it simply, well, okay, award shows, people are burned out on award shows, or is it the fact that you just don't know anybody anymore? It, it, I mean, back in the day, the heyday of the Emmys, I mean, you'd say, okay, these are the five shows that are up for best comedy. You've seen them all, or you've seen most of them. Now, I, I think a lot of people just haven't. 414-799-1620. Why why is this going on with the Emmys? Did you watch last night? 414-799-1620. We discuss in a moment. It's 118. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 120. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Emmy ratings continue to crater. And I, I think there's a lot of stuff going on, award show fatigue, things like that. But part of it is because you have so many different TV shows out there. My guess is a lot of you haven't seen half the shows that are there because they're spread out on so many different platforms. It's not bad or good. It's just the reality. Tony in Milwaukee. Tony, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Tony. I like it because I have over-the-air TV, and I didn't recognize any of the shows. And the one category I recognize for reality TV, like for Amazing Race, I thought, wow, they'll probably win. I watched that. Instead, some drag queen show from Cable beat them. <laughs> right, the RuPaul, right, the RuPaul drag race. Right. Yeah, well, like, come on, not that many, how can they, that many more of you watching that? It's an amazing race. Well, well, it's not. It, things are called, see, and see, and that's also the interesting thing too. It, it's not a question of of what shows are most popular. It's all right. What what do the voters think are the are the best shows? And so again, you you get RuPaul's Drag Race that that ends up winning. For the best reality show, and my guess is that there's a lot of people who probably go RuPaul's Drag Race. But again, I, I mean, I hear about all these these great TV shows that are out there, but they're on. Some of them are on these different platforms that I just don't have. And like, I okay, I, I I pay for the basic cable that that's good. I I pay for all the enhanced channels that's good. I like it because I'm a TV junkie. Don't mind that. Package it with the the Roadrunner. That's great. Or the, the you know the cable thing. That's the uh, internet. That's all great. Happy with that. I've got the Netflix. But do I need in addition to the Netflix? Do I need Hulu? Do I need Amazon Prime? How much TV can you end up watching? Randy and Greenfield. Randy, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Randy. Uh, we stopped watching all that when all the politics started. That uh, right. That's their format for speaking whatever they want to talk about and right. just got tired of it. Yeah, well you know it and it is interesting. I, I don't I don't know how much I didn't watch the show last night. I don't know how much politics were in it. I mean I saw on the red carpet you had one woman who had a like a uh, in like ink paint she had written, you know, stop Kavanaugh with a number on her arm and things like that. And somebody else showed up wearing a Nike outfit because they wanted to show support for Colin Kaepernick. I do yeah. think among 
those of us in flyover country, there is also that kind of turnoff level because you just you just don't want to be preached to by the Hollywood elite on on your own time. Yeah, exactly. No, thanks to I, th- I think that that is clearly a factor as well. Matter of fact, we're swamped with texts. Lisa says, if most of Americans like me were sick and tired of watching people that talk down to us, um, you know what what's the point? Steve says people don't want to be preached to by Hollywood elites. Eat granola and drive a Prius. Hmm. Um, let's see. Here's another text. I don't think it has anything to do with television shows. These award shows have become political soapboxes, um, with tiring social justice warriors who are so disconnected from everyday people. Everyone is tired of seeing that. Um, yeah, I think there's some of that. Uh, Lena says the award shows have been hijacked by the irrelevant Hollywood elite. People are sick of the shows being a platform for extreme liberalism. Um, and another text, never been a big fan of award shows, but watched occasionally now with all the causes and political speeches you could not pay me to watch. You couple it with the fact that a lot of the shows that are winning awards might be worthy, but they're on obscure sort of networks and many people haven't seen them. And you have, well, maybe the Emmy Awards going the way of where I think the Miss America pageant is going to go soon as well. 124, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. When we come back, her husband does creepy things. What do you do with the spouse? Stick around. It's 127, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It seems pothole, potholes, potholes pop up every spring. So just how are Wisconsin roads doing? A National Transportation Group is giving them a grade. Gene Miller dissects the report 751 tomorrow on Wisconsin's Morning News. All right. The the chancellor at UW-Whitewater is a woman named Beverly Copper. All right. K-O-P-P-E-R is is her name. By all intent, by by all indications, she's done, a, I think, a, a pretty good job during the years that she has been there. Her husband, her husband who had sort of an honorary unpaid role at the university, but because he was the the spouse of the chancellor, he was involved in different fundraising projects and and things like that. Um, Journal Sentinel breaks the story last week about how a few months ago he was banned from the campus because apparently what had happened is on a couple of occasions – he had inappropriate contact with with women, not not to rising to the level of sexual assault or things like that that he'd be criminally charged. But, you know, one of the stories, which just I guess just kind of mind boggling to me, is he's sitting at a at a table like a brick at an event. His wife is on one side of him. There's some woman on the other side of him and he's like squeezing her knee. I mean, it's just with, with his wife sitting next to him and. I, I think I, I just I, I know that that would not go over very well in the Wagner household. Let me just put it like this. But so so you have these different complaints. But, you know, they're they they investigate them and then they determine that there's some merit to them. So he, he's banned from the campus. He, he's out of his you know honorary sort of gig, et cetera, et cetera. Well, all right. Here's the latest in this story. A Whitewater City Council member is now coming forward and she was saying that she was sexually harassed by this guy. Her story is that um, she first came in contact with the husband, Hill, you know, when she was in student government at Whitewater from 2009 to 2011. And, you know, he would 
She said he would make inappropriate comments about her appearance and romantic relationships. She said she was a city councilwoman two years out of college in 2015 when she ran into Hill, again, that's the husband, outside a coffee shop, and he slid his hand down her back and reached under her skirt to touch her sexually while hugging her. Yuck. She says she didn't report it because she was embarrassed and feared retaliation. All right. Okay, so now now she's gone public with that, that story. But what people are saying is that the wife should now resign because of what her husband allegedly did. And that's where I want to start the discussion in the next half hour. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. There are no allegations that the chancellor participated in inappropriate behavior. There are allegations that her husband, you know, did. He'd never been charged criminally or anything, but, but now, you know, he's off of campus, so there appears to be some merit for this. Some people would suggest that the chancellor had to know that her husband was, you know, groping women and things like that, but there's no direct evidence of that. So does the chancellor have to give up her job? Should she resign? Should she be fired? for the misconduct that her husband allegedly engaged in. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will tell you where I come down on this, but I'm genuinely curious as to how you feel about it. Should the wife be fired or forced to resign because of behavior by her husband? It's 131. We'll discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. If you want to join us, 414-799-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's 136, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The Brewers' magic number make to make the playoffs is at or down to nine. We've got a big sign up here on the, on the window. Um, the crew in the Cincinnati Reds continue their series from Miller Park tonight. Hall of Famer Bob Euchre is in the booth. Our coverage starts at 6.05 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Now, Gru is producing the show today and always. Help me out. That, that nine, that's not, that's just to, that would be the second wild card spot, right? That's, that nine isn't to get the, home wild card spot or to overhaul the Chicago Cubs are still two and a half behind the Cubs. And I think the Cubs magic number is like 11 or something like that over the Brewers. So, and of course, obviously in, in baseball, it, it's great. I mean, I think the wild card stuff is great. And I, I think the fact that you have two teams that make the wild card is great, but you, if you, you don't really want to be in that wild card, that one game wild card playoff, if you can avoid it, I am going to the game tonight. All right, now I didn't didn't bring home a win on Saturday night. Feel guilty about that, but I'm going to the game tonight, and I'm going to the game tomorrow night. So, so there's I'm I'm going to be showing the colors and stuff. Hopefully, they can continue the good news. All right, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I if if you're just tuning in here, here's the story. the The Chancellor at UW Whitewater. Her her name is Beverly Copper. She's been at UW-Whitewater since 2010. Um, she was named chancellor in July of 2015. Before that, she was the provost and vice chancellor to academic affairs. So she, she's been there for, for several years. By all accounts, she's done a, a pretty good job. If you're just tuning in, the, the story is her husband, who w- was not an employee of UW-Whitewater, but he had kind of an honorary position because he was the spouse of the chancellor. So, you know, he'd, 
he'd help with fundraising and things like that in in a way of of helping your spouse. Well, it, it turns out that a couple women, um, employees, as a matter of fact, at, at UW Whitewater, had said that over the years he had grabbed them in, inappropriately or, or things like that, and they they had. A couple of women said they were afraid to come forward with these allegations because they were afraid that maybe there'd be some retaliation. Well, all right, ultimately, they came forward, they investigated a couple of these complaints, determined that there was some merit, and now the husband is has been barred from, from campus. Okay, so don't come on there anymore. A woman who is now on the Whitewater City Council has come forward, and she said, well, you know, when I was a student there in 2009 to 2011, he, he said some inappropriate things to me at that time, and then I, I ran into him in 2015 outside a coffee shop. He slid his hand down her back and reached under her skirt to touch her sexually while hugging her. She said she didn't report it because she was embarrassed and feared retaliation. Okay, so you know she's now come forward with, with this, and what, what clearly emerges from this conversation is the, the husband is kind of creepy, right? And and again, what's happened is the UW system has said, "All right, you you can't have anything to do with being on campus." Boom, you know you're you're 86 from the campus. Okay, which I think is completely appropriate. Now, some of the women who were the victims of the husband, they are going public and they are saying the chancellor, the wife, should lose her job. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I guess. Without meaning to be unsympathetic to the victims, I got to tell you, I don't know where they're coming from. If there is evidence to suggest that the chancellor knew her husband was behaving in sexually inappropriate manners, ways towards you know women, and looked the other way or encouraged it or whatever, that that's one thing. But so far, there's nothing out there that suggests that. I mean, so far, it appears that you've, you've got, again, if you want to believe all these allegations, you've got the husband who is behaving badly. Uh, I don't see how that's a basis for firing the wife for, for unless you can demonstrate that, you know, she knew this was going on and looked the other way. I mean, try to think about this in, in your life. All right. You've got a job. Your husband behaves badly or your wife behaves badly, does that mean that you should lose your position unless they can establish that you knew what was going on and you looked the other way and, or you, you somehow encouraged it? 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I just think it's absurd to suggest that, that she should be fired unless unless there's something more to the story suggesting that she knew about it. Sam sends me a text. If she knew about it and covered it up, then yes, she needs to go. Well, I don't disagree with that, but I don't think anybody's saying that. James from Ripon says, no, the chancellor should not be held accountable for her husband's actions. If she had a role in it, yes, otherwise, no. Another text, the wife definitely should keep her job. It's not her fault if her husband is is a creep. Why do I think that there's a lot of women out there that maybe are kind of like nodding their heads saying, you know, yes. Um, let's see another text. Society 
can't blame a spouse or a parent for the actions of someone else. If the chancellor engaged in the same actions, then she should resign. Otherwise, I don't believe it's an issue. Um, all right. Chris in Campbellsport says, I think some of these women are just out to get people. The chancellor should keep her job. The husband should be dealt with separately, which I guess that, that's kind of how I, I look at this. I mean, just, all right, think about, okay, think about people who have been in marriages where it turns out that, you know, one of the spouse behaves badly in one sense or another, th- does that mean that you should lose your gig? I, let me give you a prominent example of that. Uh, former congressman, disgraced congressman Anthony, Anthony Weiner, remember the guy who was, like, like sending the pictures of his junk to people and all? You know, he, he was in Congress, ended up having to resign in disgrace. His wife, very high-power woman who was a top aide to Hillary Clinton. Okay, should, should Hillary Clinton fire the wife? Because the husband is a creep? I mean, really, is that where we are? Jim in Burlington. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Okay, should the should you fire the wife because the husband behaves badly? No, if, not at all. If she supported it for some odd reason, yes, then she's part of the part of the scenario that happened. But if, like you said, what you mentioned about Anthony Weiner, yeah. if they're going to go that far, then Hillary shouldn't be allowed to run for president ever again because her husband behaved bad. Well, well, well right. I mean, yeah, that's right. That that's probably right. That's probably the the in the last twenty years. That's probably the most you know glaring sort of example about that. The husband behaves badly. Do you say all right? Well, the wife's not able for president. I guess I just think it's. I, I don't even see the connection here. I'm the, the the argument is well, she she can't be serious. Um, she can't be serious in dealing with you know issues of you know harassment in the workplace because of this. I don't understand that. I'm, I'm sure this woman is embarrassed. I'm sure she's mad as you know what. I, I don't think this means that she can't do her job. No, th- no. I fully agree. Yeah, th- thanks for calling. I mean, I just, and I just, I mean, I don't think it's fair. What's the cliche about like sins of the father? You know, visited on the son. I mean, I, again, if, 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 for example, let's take another example, the chancellor at Whitewater, if she engaged in some sort of effort to cover this up, or she engaged in some effort to try to, you know, pay off these women who came forward with the complaints in order to get their silence or something like that. Well, we'd be having a different conversation. But at least so far, that does not appear to be the case. And um, Roy and Nina, Roy, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Roy. It seems like this could be a Joe Paterno, kind of an Urban Meyer situation, where if, if they knew about the conduct of the people working under them, they should have taken some action. And whether she was a uh, he was a husband or not, she would have that responsibility. But in those cases, there was some indication that they knew what was right. going on. And and for some reason, I happen to know several women who have husbands who are kind of creepy, and uh, the women around them, their friends, are super reluctant to tell them anything about it. They're right. clueless as to what their husband is doing. Until they ultimately find out they're just stunned with it. Yeah, or, or maybe they're in denial or whatever. But yeah, they, they just don't know. And and at least my understanding, Roy, the facts here is a, a couple of the women who were victimized by the husband or inappropriately touched or whatever, they, they said they, they, you know, collectively they didn't come forward because they were afraid there might be some retaliation or whatever, but they didn't come forward. I mean, they made that decision. Then 
ultimately, as always happens, the dam kind of breaks. Um, I just don't think it's fair to, I don't think it's fair to visit this guy's conduct and hold the wife accountable. And I, I think, I, I mean, I would say the same thing if the situation reversed. Ban him from campus, no question about it. You know, come down on him like, you know, a ton of bricks, but you take the, make the wife resign? I just don't think that's right. I agree, and I don't think that even if these ladies are saying that they didn't come forward, that they probably told their friends about it. They told other people, but those people didn't come forward either. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, th- thanks for call. I mean, look, and again, I'm not, I'm not downplaying, I'm not downplaying the complaints of the victims in, in this case. Uh, I, I think it's legitimate, and I think it's unfortunate they had to go through it, and I think appropriate discipline. Obviously, the husband needs to be, you know, abandoned from campus. Now, I, I will say this: maybe, maybe the chancellor, looking at all the circumstances, says, "Okay, it's just." Given what's happened with my husband and given the fact that, you know, he had this on-campus unpaid but on-campus role, my position has been compromised. It is uncomfortable for me to continue to do my job. Now, it might be that in, in a form of self-assessment, she decides perhaps it is best to move on. But, but that's, that's a decision for, for her to make. And I don't know if she's close to that particular point or not, but, but it's not a question of forcing her out of her job. I just think that would be wrong. 147, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 151. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Is the tie against the Minnesota Vikings more beneficial or detrimental to the Packers? Chances of winning the NFC North. Voice of the Packers, Wayne Larravee, breaks it down. 320 this afternoon on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Be sure to tune in. I, I just off to my, my right here. I was looking at one of the many TV screens we have, and there's a President Trump is, is taking some questions now, and uh, they're, they're asking, of course, about the Brett Kavanaugh thing, and he's defending Judge Kavanaugh. But that's not what really strikes me. It's I am always amazed at how that job ages people. And, and I think if you were to look at a picture of Donald Trump, ah, let's, say, let's go back two years, you know, when he was campaigning, and you look at him now, I think you come to the conclusion that he looks like he's aged ten years, and and that was certainly the case. To it was certainly the case with George Bush. It was the case um, with Bill Clinton. It was the case with Barack Obama. I think in in uh, Lyndon Johnson. My goodness, I mean, the, the, I would say the only thing was the only president in my lifetime who did not look like the job aged him, Ronald Reagan. I just you know Ron now Ronald Reagan was older when he took the job and and older even more so of course when he left but the the job just ages people I'm just looking at I'm looking at President Trump and I'm thinking man this looks like the job is it makes you kind of wonder in some respects while it's really cool to be the leader of the free world uh, you know it takes a certain type of person to sign up for that all right it also takes a certain type of person to want to run for office Paul Ryan has occupied the the first congressional district, that seat, for a number of years. Paul Ryan is stepping down. Before Paul Ryan decided to step down, a guy named Randy Bryce, who's been kind of on the periphery of politics for a long while, Democrat, um, with a very sort of colorful record, nine arrests, some for some minor stuff, others for, for more significant stuff. Um, a, a history of, of financial wreckage, but but Randy Bryce wants to be the congressman, and and what happened was I, I think it was more like 
in the beginning, it was Don Quixote tilting at windmills. He was going to be the guy that ran against Paul Ryan. And so you had a bunch of the Hollywood elite who didn't know Randy Bryce from Adam, but they wanted somebody who would run against Paul Ryan. So the Hollywood elite started putting a bunch of money into the Randy Bryce campaign. And they didn't care about the fact that the guy was a deadbeat at different points in his life. And he has these arrest records and things like that. Well, then once once Paul Ryan dropped out, then people started to think, well, maybe is, there, is this the chance for Democrats to pick up this seat for the first time in, in 20 years? Now, the guy that is running against um, Randy Bryce is just a quality, just a quality sort of guy. I had um, I had uh, dinner with uh, Style, oh, I don't know, a couple months ago. But, you know, he, he's a lawyer, comes from a very well-respected family. Um, I, I think, you know, clearly, you know, um, style is the guy that probably should get the edge in this, but it's going to be contested. There's no question about it. So now there is a new ad that is out. This ad features Randy Bryce's brother, but it's not an ad for Randy Bryce. It's an ad against Randy Bryce. Uh, Randy Bryce's brother is a police officer. And as he talks about in this 30-second ad, um, he he's not a fan of his brothers. He's not a fan of some of the rhetoric his brother has used, for example, implying that police officers are terrorists or things like that. And this is the new ad that is run, again, by Randy Bryce's brother. Here is a portion of it. My name is James Bryce. I've been a cop for over 23 years. FBI statistics show that assaults against law enforcement have gone up in the last few years. From my perspective, this has been motivated in part by cop-hating rhetoric. I've been to three cops' funerals in the last two years. Two were shot while trying to protect people from violent criminals. When people refer to police officers as terrorists, that hits a little close to home. I don't think people want to be represented by someone who's shown contempt for those in law enforcement. That's one of the many reasons why I'm voting for Brian Style for Congress. Ouch. Ouch. And, and again, the, the imagery which goes with this is he's talking into the camera and, and then they, they flip to and a newspaper clippings of things that his brother has said, again, talking about, you know, police officers being terrorists and things like this. This is now the second time in 2018 where we have family members lined up against each other. You will recall in the U.S. Senate race for the Republican uh, nomination, you had Kevin Nicholson who converted from the Democratic Party to the Republican one, his his parents, big-time lefties who were donating to Tammy Baldwin, and while they weren't doing ads, they were actively supporting uh, Tammy Baldwin when their son was running for office. Now you have a situation where it's flipped. You have the, the brother who's running as a Democrat, and you have his brother who's coming out and saying, I wouldn't vote for my brother. I don't know how this thing is all going to play out, but I, I will say this. <clears throat> it is, I, I think it, it is always powerful when you have a, a family member that lines up like this. And one of the differences between the Nicholson situation and this is in this case, you've got Bryce's brother who is identifying particularly and specifically why it is that, that he's not going to support his brother Namely, that he thinks his his brother, you know, is one of these cop haters and things like that. So it's tying it into a specific issue. I think this may, might gain more traction than the, the Nicholson family flap. Although, candidly, the Nicholson family flap didn't help him, I, I think, um, in pursuing his ultimately unsuccessful attempt to get the nomination. I tell you, every time you think you've seen it all, 
something occurs. When we come back, I want to talk about a special session for Kimberly Clark. $43 million for a 30-story high-rise that nobody thinks fits in Bayside and much more. Stick around. 157, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 209, so Jeff WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. We, we have discussed this once or twice on the program over the last month or so, and I, I've gotten a lot of feedback. Interestingly, I, I think most of it's supportive of my position. I think the Foxconn deal is transformative. I understand that we, we paid out, we being taxpayers, potentially potentially will pay out a, a bunch of money over the, the years if Foxconn is able to deliver and bring thousands and thousands of jobs to, to southeastern Wisconsin. The, the difference is, of course, it's kind of a pay-as-you-go deal, and if Foxconn doesn't deliver, then the taxpayers aren't on the hook. And I understand, to an extent, it is corporate welfare. It's picking winners and losers. But in, in the case of Foxconn, what you have going on is you have something that, in my opinion, is transformative for the economy in Wisconsin. It's something that we don't have. It's something that you know nobody in the region has. And then if you look at the scope of, of Foxconn, what this potentially means, it, it's not just 10,000 or 13,000 jobs at, at the at the location you know where they're talking about. It's not just the jobs that are going to, I think, be created as, as businesses uh, surround Foxconn to support it. It's not just the jobs that are created now and, and the in the hundreds of millions of dollars that are being spent right now to build the facility. I mean, I told the story a couple of weeks ago. I was in a bar running. I ran into a couple of guys who were down in, you know, Mount Pleasant and they're, they're there because they're, they're there because of the, 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 the Foxconn work. And they're, they're from, you know, up North and they wouldn't be down here except they're down <clears throat> again, working on the Foxconn thing. So, I mean, it's, it's helping people throughout the state, but in addition with Foxconn, you see, the facility, you see the partnership that they have with UW-Madison. Um, you, you see what they're doing in Eau Claire. You see what they're doing in Green Bay. It, it's it's a big investment in the state, and, and that's why I support this. That doesn't mean, though, that every time you have a business that hits rough economic times, you can come in and expect the taxpayers to bail you out. I mean, you, you just don't. Because then where, where do you end up drawing the line? You've run, let's say, you've run a, a family service station in a particular community for the last, I don't know, 15, 20, 30 years. And all of a sudden now everybody's going to the dealers and you, you just, your, your business is starting to dry up. Well, do you, do you think that the taxpayers should bail out your business. And and I think the answer is we have to say no. It's unfortunate. Business is open. Business is closed. Plants increase their production. Plants decrease their production. But you, you can't expect that every time a business hits a hard time that these taxpayers are going to bail them out, which brings us to the story involving Kimberly Clark. Now, Kimberly Clark, multinational paper company. This is not a good time to be a paper company. Um, the, the worldwide economy is, is not conducive to what they do. And Kimberly Clark announces that they're going to be going through a 
corporate restructuring where they're going to be what cutting about 10% of their workforce across the country across the world so that that's just the nature they have to do it it's unfortunate they're not growing like they were so Kimberly Clark has these two facilities in the Fox Valley one employs about 100 one employs about 500 the plant that employs the 100 that's probably gone i don't think anybody can save that you've got the other plant that employs the 500 Kimberly Clark says we're going to close it but, but state of Wisconsin taxpayers, if you were to come in and you were to provide us, give us about a hundred million dollars in tax credits. And then what we would do is if you give us about a hundred million dollars, we will consider it keeping the plant open. Um, tax credits up to 17% of qualifying wages for job retention, another 15% for, for plant upgrades. And, again, it's paid out, like Foxconn, on a yearly basis. So if Kimberly-Clark doesn't keep doing that, if they don't live up to their promise, then they, they don't get all of the money. But if they do keep the jobs for a few years, you know, they, they end up, they get about $100 million of taxpayer money. The Assembly passed a bill to allow that to happen. Right now, it's hung up in the state Senate. There, there's not, There's not enough votes for it. As far as I can tell, you have no Democrats who are in favor of the bill, which means you then have to rely pretty much exclusively on Republican votes. And you have a number of Republican senators who just can't support this. They're just they're saying, look, you know, we want Kimberly Clark to stay, but we can't just throw money at every existing business that decides that, gee, we're going to close a facility unless you give us money. So the governor wants a special session. There's all this give and take that's going back. But, uh, again, right now there's not the votes. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I've gotten a lot of feedback from people on on my position. Some con, but, but most pro. If I were in the state senate, I would vote no on this package. And, and, and here's how I, I best explain it. I, I am not sen- insensitive to the idea of, of trying to preserve jobs. But at least in my opinion, this is completely and totally different than Foxconn. Foxconn is bringing a new huge entity with growth potential and the potential to, I think, transform Wisconsin. That's different than looking at an aging manufacturing concern where, I mean, they're struggling globally. Kimberly-Clark is not in a growth mode. And it's one thing to pay with the idea that you're going to bring new jobs and, you know, grow, and hopefully there'll be thousands and thousands. It's another thing to say, okay, you've hit hard times. We expect the taxpayers to shell out a hundred grand. Um, a hundred thousand dollars to um keep that hundred thousand dollars, hundred million dollars to keep you here, and to try to preserve these jobs in a business that is struggling. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, if I were in the state Senate, I would say no. And I understand the governor Kimberly Clark wants to get this done by September thirtieth. That's their drop dead date. And I will tell you, based on my conversations with people in the know. There, there's just no way that that's going to get done because there's there's no bipartisan support for this. But the bigger point is, with all due respect, and nobody wants to see people lose their jobs, but candidly, given the fact that we're almost at full employment now, if there was ever a time where nobody wants to lose their job, 
but you might be able to find a different job, that this would be that time. I just think you have to say no to Kimberly Clark. 414-799-1620. We discuss in two minutes. If you're on the line, please hold on. If you want to join us again, 414-799-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 217. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 220, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. A new Marquette Law School poll has dropped. What does it say about the midterm elections? Gene Miller has a full analysis. Tune in 721 tomorrow on Wisconsin's Morning News. Let's start with George in Oak Creek. George, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. What do you think? Uh, I totally agree with you. I would not give the money, and there's multiple reasons. First of all, you know they want to try to compare Foxconn to them. Foxconn obviously is thousands of jobs. But more importantly, there's other companies that will move here just because Foxconn came here right. to, to work with them for supplies and whatnot. We're talking about 600 jobs at $100 million, and I don't know what the percentage would be changing for the unemployment rate, but it's got to be minimal when you consider mm-hmm. we're, what, 3.9%, and it might change at 0.01% or right. 0.01%. For $100 million, totally not where the money should go. Well, right. plus it's, I mean, it's different. Foxconn, to me, is, it's it's the new thing. It's it's opening up all these gateways for, you know, kids to study and, and come out of the UW schools and have these talents for the, for the new age type of thing. And, and again, you, you've got Kimberly Clark, which they, they make paper products. And I'm not diminishing that, but they're... They're struggling with the worldwide economy. It is not a growth sort of industry. And I guess my concern is, what about the precedent? Have you now set this precedent that every time you've got a, a manuf- you've got any sort of company or any sort of business that's okay, losing some jobs? Hey, you got Boston store. I mean, should we be bailing out? You know, should we have bailed out Boston store to try to keep those jobs? Where where do you draw the line? I totally agree, and it, it, you know, it, it's it's sort of. In fact, you know, you're bringing in other companies. And how much money did Foxconn give Wisconsin-Madison for technology development? I mean, think about that. Kimberly Clark isn't doing that. They're looking for a handout just because they feel, oh, they got it, so now I should get it. Well, well, right, and, and it's a way to kind of, figuratively speaking, put a gun to the head of the politicians and say, exactly. "Well, listen, you know, you're, you've got an election coming up. Do you really want us to, you know, close this plant and cost five or six hundred people their jobs?" No, thank. And that's, and and I just, I, I don't think politicians can be blackmailed in that. And again, it, it's legal, sort of. I don't mean blackmail in the sense that it's a crime, but this idea that. All right, you know, we're, we're going to play you off against somebody else. Now, I mean, again, I don't, I'm not opposed to government entering into investments that are the big picture. I, I have a texture that makes an interesting point. They said, well, Jeff, wait a second. Wait a second. You're the guy that supported Miller Park. Now that, that's, you know, you're the guy that believed in putting money in so that, you know, millionaires and billionaires can have this facility. Well, okay. The, to me, the, the selling point on Miller Park isn't the fact that Gee, you've got a, a place where you know millionaire ball players can play. It is what did Miller Park do for the community? What does having a major league baseball team stay in Wisconsin? What does that do for the community? And again, I, I'm willing to argue this point, but I, I don't think you know 15 years or however many years we've had Miller Park later. I don't think anybody can argue that it has been a net positive. Okay, argument I get. What about the Bucks Arena? 
You've got $250 million in taxpayer money that's going into this place where you've got billionaire owners and millionaire players. How can you justify it? Well, I, I justify it because, to me, that is an investment in, in growth. Whether or not, and I've said this before, the Bucks Arena is a success to me, it, it's ultimately going to depend on what happens to that area around the Bucks Arena. You know, is this going to be a renaissance for the city of Milwaukee? Are you going to see this multi-use development? Are you going to be attracting people down there? If, if 10 years from now it's a ghost town, well, then I think maybe you can argue that the Bucks Arena and the investment was a failure. I don't think that that's going to be the case. But again, this is money that's put in to try to build something. Liz in Milwaukee. Liz, you're on WTMJ. I think uh, this would be setting a precedent of if we bail out a company, would we not have to start bailing out any other company that wants to take their jobs away? And if we took these jobs away, would they go someplace else? Did they say if they were going to take them someplace else? Well, I, I mean, they're they're right. They would cl- they would presumably close some other plant instead because this is all this is part of a this is part of a worldwide downsizing. So, I mean, and, and what one of the things that's happening is the facilities up in in the Fox Valley. They're some of the older plants, you know. So they're you know it, it's easier it's easier to close some of those than it is perhaps to close some of the newer, more modern ones. And part of giving money to Foxconn, well, Foxconn earning that is we're going to get paid out more than we gave to them. And it's not just Foxconn that's bringing in that money. It's things that are going to happen because of Foxconn, such as coffee shops going in, delis going in, apartment complexes being built in the area, all the service of people that will be working in that area. So in the end, we're going to make more tax dollars because of Foxconn then we right. end up giving them in the first place. Yeah, and that and that and that Liz is the same rationale for the, for the Bucks Arena. It's not just okay. It's this arena, but it's you know what will the arena lead to? And especially in the case of of the, the Bucks, where they're saying okay, we're we need the help to do this, but then we're going to fund all this private development that's around there. Um, so it's really truly a public private partnership. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think it's just apples and oranges, and I don't want to see anybody lose their jobs. I no. Nobody does. Politicians that are against Foxconn love to avoid that fact, and I wish everybody could just get the true facts about that when they go to vote. Um, thanks the call. Appreciate it. Again, I here here is the reality right now, and let let's we we can cut through the theoretical stuff. There there aren't the votes in the state senate right now to support this package. Um, you have a number of conservative Republicans who are on board. And as far as I can tell, I don't think you have any Democrats that are on board. So when the governor talks about wanting to have a special session, I, I don't see any sense in doing that unless you know that you have the votes. And and that means, here, here's the reality, you're going to need several Democrats. And I, I'm not talking about just one or two. You're going to need several Democrats who are going to be willing to come up and say, okay, I am going to vote for this. Because right now, as far as I can tell, I think there's only two Republicans that are, are committed to being on board. There's four or five that have definitely said they're, they're not. So, I mean, this would really have to be some sort of bipartisan package. And candidly, again, given the fact that you've got elections coming up in, in November, I, I think I don't think you're going to have Democrats wanting to do anything that are is going to you know be perceived as helping out Scott Walker 
or helping out the controlling Republican majority in the Senate. I, I just, as a practical matter, now maybe I'll be proven wrong in the next two weeks. That's one of the great things. Kimberly Clark says, you know, we have to have an answer by September 30th. Doesn't seem to me to make any sense to bring everybody back unless you've got a commitment that they're going to vote on what the assembly passed and that they're going to pass it. If you don't have the votes, why bother doing it? And right now, I don't think they have the votes. 228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. What was that analogy? I can take my Pomeranian, tape a horn to her forehead, and it doesn't make Sasha a unicorn. That's the way it is. All right. I tie that into this news that Boston Store might be making a comeback. Now, this first broke a couple weeks ago, and, and I admit that this, to me, was kind of it screamed publicity stunt. And the more I hear about it, it screams publicity stunt e- even more. Here, here's the deal. Boston Store, of course, you know, decades-old brand. Bonton was the company that was the parent company of, of Boston Store. Boston Store, Bonton, goes belly up in bankruptcy. And, you know, we've been talking about that for the longest time. We had discussions about, you know, what's why the department store failed and things like that. So you have these breathless reports that, oh, Boston store might be coming back. Well, now we know what happened. You you have a, a, a company out of Maryville, Indiana, that, that goes in and what they do is out of bankruptcy. They spend about $900,000, which is $900,000. I understand it's a lot of money, but in the context it, it's it's a relatively small investment. And what they do out of bankruptcy is they buy the right to Bonton's trademarks, their websites, and this is important, their customer lists. So they get they get access to everybody who had Boston Store credit cards or Bonton credit cards. And that to me, that was what they were buying. They they were buying the access to to market to you know people who were customers. So then the question becomes market what? And then you get these reports saying, well, all right, Boston store is going to be making a comeback. And so automatically everybody assumes, oh, those vacant buildings in Northridge and in South, Northridge, I'm sorry, Southridge and at Mayfair and at Brookfield Square and at Bayshore and, you know, out in West Bend, oh, Boston store is going to be coming back. Well, no, not so fast. What they're talking about is, is essentially using the Boston store name. Um, to create websites to sell stuff, much of which has nothing to do with what went on at, at Boston store. They say, we're going to be testing, you know, everything. We're going to have some fashion and lifestyle brands and, um, we're going to offer services, et cetera, et cetera. They're talking about maybe two stores open only Thursday through Saturday. One of the stores is at a completely different location. And the other store might be opened up in one of the pre-existing Boston store locations. Only four until only Thursday till Sunday. They estimate. Let's see. They, they say that one of the stores, the new store concept, will be between ten thousand and one hundred thousand square feet. Now that's a that's a heck of a that's a heck of a difference. Ten, the difference between a ten thousand foot square foot store and a hundred thousand is, is a heck of it. But a store. Uh, let's see. They're going to have apparel, lifestyle products, more items for your home, furnishing to appliances to window treatments, um, etc. So this is being billed as you know maybe Boston Store is going to be making a comeback. Well, to me, what this sounds like is rather than Boston Store making a comeback, at least 
the, the Boston store that anybody knew. What this is is somebody who, again, has, has acquired the, the mailing lists of, of Boston store and is trying to create some sort of new business model. My guess is mostly Internet sales, but maybe a, a little bit of a physical presence. But it's not going to be anything like, at least in my opinion, the, the Boston store that we know. But, of course, Boston store failed in the big picture. So let, let's tee this up. Just one segment. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I, I'm sorry, but I, I'm having trouble getting excited about this because it, it seems to me that, again, what, what you have going on here is you have somebody that, that's purchased the name. And that's great. They've purchased the name. They've purchased the mailing lists. And they're trying to figure out a way that they can maybe make a quick buck on the name and on the mailing list. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. But the, the idea of, gee, people are going to be flocking to the new Boston stores because they love the old Boston stores doesn't make a lot of sense to me because I don't think that there's going to be anything really saying that the new Boston store is going to be anything like the old Boston store, period. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, are you excited about the quote-unquote return of Boston store just a, a few weeks after all the Boston stores went out of business, or are you, like me, decidedly skeptical? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I, I just, I still, I, when I, when I saw these headlines about a week or two ago, oh, Boston store is going to be making a comeback, et cetera, et cetera. I, I just, I'm sorry. I don't see this as being a comeback by Boston store. What, what I, I see this as is again, an entrepreneur looking for a way to, okay, we're going to try to capitalize on this name and maybe we can figure out a way to make a couple bucks. But as far as we're bringing back the brand, well, maybe you're bringing back the name, but you're not bringing back the Boston store that many of us loved and shopped at and patronized for years and years. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, I hate to be one of these doubting Thomases, but color me extremely skeptical as to this. And I've seen some of these different business proposals, and I, I you know... It was kind of like the here we're gonna we're gonna fly the personal jets into Milwaukee and that's gonna take off and that didn't kind of go anywhere either. Let's start with Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey Jeff, how you doing? Good. What do you think? Uh, negative. Not going anywhere. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's like pennies. It's like you know, uh, there's a Kmart, Sears. You know, I mean, they all the, the model's lame. I mean, you can go online. That's great. Right, but you got Amazon. You know, I mean, you got there's just too much competition out there, and there's really what new, you know, what new fresh thing. Fine, they add window things or whatever. That's right. not going to. Really well, well, right, and 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 see, in the way this was presented originally, Boston stores making a comeback, and everybody thought, oh gosh, we're going to. Oh, this is. I mean, you've got a big depart, a new department store that's going to come in, and they're going to plug all these holes in these big balls. They're not talking about that. They. They, they bought they bought the rights for nine hundred grand so they can have the mailing list yeah and they're yeah, going to yeah. open Thursday through Sunday stores maybe two one and again the, the square footage small footprints I I mean I, I wish them success but this isn't Boston store I mean no, this isn't what any of us it's knew even, it's not even close. I mean 
it, they literally, like you said, they they, they bought the mailing list, and nine hundred thousand dollars for you know an investment firm or whatever else is like chump change to you and me. I mean, it, it's like, I, yeah, I, I guess I, I'm just. I, I hope. Thanks for calling. I, I wish him. I wish him well. I, I do wish him well. But color me skeptical on this whole thing. And, and again, the, the devil is always in the details. And if, all I'm saying is, if you think those, those big holes that now exist in all these shopping malls around this area are going to be filled by the new Boston store, that, that's not what this is all about at, at, it's not what it's all about at all. They bought the name and that's pretty much it. All right. When we come back, when we come back, we're only out of a couple of minutes, but I, I want to talk about this. This proposal to put a 30-story high-rise up in Bayside on essentially on the corner by the freeway and Brown Deer Road. All right, I grew up in the North Shore. I don't know anybody who thinks that this is a good idea or a practical idea or worth $43 million in public financing. But I am willing to discuss Four one four. We'll, we'll talk about it in just a minute. Two forty four. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's two forty eight. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. I grew up in the North Shore. I've lived in the North Shore most of my life. Here is the deal. There is this developer who wants forty three million dollars in public financing to build a mixed use development. Now, if you can picture this. Uh, imagine going north on I-43, and you've got Brown Deer Road, and the intersection essentially of I-43 and Brown Deer Road. So you'd be between the freeway and Port Washington Road. And, and what they want to do is they want to develop a 30-story tower with more than 250 luxury apartments in that area. The development would include offices, restaurants, stores, and additional apartments arranged around an outdoor plaza. And again, for this to happen, uh, Bayside is going to have to come up with, I don't know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 40-some million dollars as a start. Under the plan, the apartment tower would have 260 to 280 units, Additional housing would include 10 townhouses, as well as 50 to 90 apartments in a three- to four-story building, uh, street-level retail space, restaurants, other retail, etc., etc., etc. And then, of course, obviously, if you were to build something like this, you need a huge commitment to you know, improving the infrastructure, sewers, water mains, sidewalks, public plaza, storm wastewater management thing, etc., now, I, I am familiar with this particular area in, like I say, in, in the North Shore. And I remember when, when I first read about this, I'm thinking, who, are, are they serious? I, I mean, I, look, you're talking about an area that is primarily single family homes. Pri- primarily. Um, a 30 story high rise. Featuring several hundred luxury apartments, ah, in in one of the towers, I, I'm thinking, all right, there, there's just there, there's no way that this is going to work. That this is way too grand and it's inappropriate for the area. So, but that that was just my initial reaction. So, I, I've been talking to several people I know who live in that area, asking 
you know, kind of what do you think about this? And again, always, you know, whenever you're talking about change, you always run into some of what they call the NIMBY effect, you know, the not in my backyard effect, you know, and then again, I understand if you're, for example, if you're living in this area where you got single family houses, all of a sudden you don't want a 30 story apartment complex um, with residential and commercial development necessarily right across the street. So there's always some of that that's out there. But I, I was asking some of these people I know in the area, is, can this can this work? Am I am I missing something? Is there really the demand for this type of facility in that area? And to a person, all the people I'm talking to are just kind of rolling their head, thinking there's just you know this there's there's no way something like this would work in that particular area. And this has, I mean, it just screams white elephant. Now I understand there's these studies that are out there that says that if you build it and you're able to get tenants, and you're able to do all this stuff, well, you can dramatically you know, increase the amount of property taxes that are paid, but that's that's a big if. All right, we've only got a couple minutes. 414-799-1620, that is the Accurate Mortgage talk and text line. If you're familiar with the area, or you, in particular, if you live in that area, will that area support something like this? I mean, you had Bayshore Town Center, and, and they do have apartments, but it's not a 30-story high-rise. And, you know, they always talked about building condos, and at least last I can tell, that market kind of fell through, and, and so there's no plans with that. And now, you know, Bayshore Town Center is struggling with lots of vacancies, and they're trying to figure out how they're going to, you know, recreate themselves. So now you have somebody saying, okay, well, let's move further north. Um, I think the thinking is... You've got perhaps empty nesters, people who like to live in the North Shore, but they're you know they're they're going to flock to, I don't know, they're going to flock to a thirty-story apartment tower that's off of the freeway and Brown Deer Road. I, I I guess I just don't see it. I'm not trying to be a negative Nancy here. I I just don't see it. I think you know you're you're competing with downtown. For those North Shore empty nesters, I mean, downtown's making the big push. Hey, come on down. You know, you can be part of the, you know, you can be part of the area. You can be part of all the excitement. That's the, that's the battle. I guess I look at this and it just completely and totally screams white elephant to me, especially if, if in order to get it done, the developers are saying we need millions of dollars of, of public financing up front to make this work. I think if I were, I don't know, if I were on the village board of Bayside or I were some of the people that were responsible for approving this, my advice would be go really, really, really slow because, I mean, how many times have we seen where people come in, they promise all these grand sort of things, they have all these grand plans, but then when the the metal meets the meat, it, it really doesn't develop that way. I just don't see maybe five years from now, Maybe 10 years from now, there's going to be this huge plaza and it's going to be this great stuff. Just color me skeptical about that particular location for this type of project. And while I frequently fault the people who are the not-in-my-backyarders, in this particular case, I think maybe people in that area might have a point. All right, it is 2.54. When we come back, we're going to find out what's up on Wisconsin's afternoon news. Please stick around. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.